When you turn on the news at night, uh, if you do such a thing, I know we're doing it less and less often, probably for some good reasons, but what do you usually see? What are the lead stories? Is it uh, about, you know, that nice thing that happened next door? Or is it usually about the most terrifying thing someone could think of? It's the bad news first, usually. There's something a little bit perverted in human nature that makes us drawn to bad news. And that makes us want to share bad news with relish at different times in our life. Did you hear about so-and-so? And the thing that they're going through, oh, it's terrible. On the one hand, we get excited by good news. We're thrilled by it. I mean, it's, sometimes there's good news and we can't wait to tell people about it. But I think that very often we become peddlers in bad news in our own lives. My day today was terrible. This thing was so hard. Did you hear about who's sick now? Did you hear about this other thing? It's really easy to get caught up in all the bad news. And you know what, folks? Sometimes I think we like framing our faith in terms of bad news. I don't want to go to hell. Is that what Jesus came and said? Was Jesus like everyone? You're all going to hell. Is that what he led with? That's what some Christians today lead with, isn't it? Sometimes it's maybe what you and I have led with when we talk about Jesus. Ooh, Jesus really doesn't like that thing you're doing. I had a joke with my friends, uh, and somebody said this to me once, and I, I, I think I said something that was kind of bordering on maybe something as a Christian that you shouldn't say, or maybe a sort of a theology joke because I'm nerdy like that. And, uh, and somebody, the person I was talking to says, Ian, I'm going to move and stand over here. You stay there so that when the lightning hits you, I'll be okay. Right? And sometimes that's how we talk about our faith, right? Like, okay, like I can see you're not a Christian. Let me back up there so when the judgment comes, I don't get caught up in it. Now, don't get me wrong. God's not afraid to talk about judgment. Jesus himself wasn't afraid to call out sin for sin. Jesus himself had some harsh words for people who refused to listen to the good news. But I think that sometimes we struggle in remembering that our relationship with Jesus is about good news and not bad news. And if you're wondering if that's true about you, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I want you to pay attention to how you pray in the next few days. And is your prayer life dominated by, God, I really messed up. I really need you to forgive me. Or is it dominated by, God, thank you for what you have done. And thank you for the forgiveness that you've given to me. And then, as you get the results of that, I want you to take what you hear today and apply it. So let's jump into it. John, I love this story. I love this story. I always say that about every story in the Bible, but I really do love this story. John is hearing about all the stuff that Jesus is doing. And John has been Jesus' biggest proponent so far. Right? He is in jail in part because he is the guy who is pointing people to Jesus and saying, hey, you don't need to worry about anyone but Jesus. Jesus is the guy that you need. You need to repent and turn away from your old ways and follow Jesus. Jesus is the guy. And yet, here in Luke chapter 7, John starts to get a feel for Jesus' ministry. And he's not really sure that Jesus is the guy anymore. And why is that the case? 
Why is that the case? Well, it has to do with our Isaiah reading that you just heard. We, we heard, I love, Elaine paused and said, that sounds like a nice place. Yes, you got it, Elaine. That's perfect. But if you go back to the, the passage immediately prior to this, you're going to see something uh, a little bit different. So Isaiah chapter 35, uh, 34, we read out of chapter 35, but here's how 34 starts. It says, come near you nations and listen, you, you, uh, pay attention you peoples, let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with the nations. His wrath is on all their armies. He will totally destroy them. And it just goes on and on and on for 17 verses about all the nasty things that God's going to do to the mean people in the world. And so John is operating out of this Isaiah 34 mindset and thinking, I thought that Jesus was going to come and punish all the people who've been mean. I thought that when God's Messiah came, he was going to set us free from all the tyrants in the world. But instead, he's out preaching good news to people. Jesus, your news is not good enough, is maybe what John was thinking in his heart of hearts. I want to be careful about putting it there, because Jesus also goes on to say in our passage this morning that no one born of woman is greater than John. So me, smaller than John, there it is. But in any case... John is confused about who he sees Jesus proposing to be. He sees the nations haven't been judged, and he says, can Jesus really be the good news we've been waiting for? And I think that this teaches us that the good news about Jesus Christ can be obscured by our wrong expectations. We need to let Jesus speak for himself. See, we don't get to come and pass judgment on Jesus and say, well, but do I like him? Is he doing the things that I think he should be about in my life and in your life and in our world? That's not how this relationship is going to work. And on the one hand, that's really unfair because Jesus is a man just like you and me. Or a human being, maybe I should say, just like you and me, ladies. But in any case, it doesn't seem fair. What kind of person do we give that sort of credit to? That sort of, that sort of uh, margin to? To say, hey, whatever you say is what I will be about. But Jesus isn't just a human being. Jesus is also the only son of God, the unique son of God. And his authority is unimpeachable, his character unassailable. And he is about a project much bigger than we can take in on our own. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, okay, Ian, but how do I know that Jesus is the Son of God? I mean, maybe I'm willing to grant that. Maybe I'm willing to grant that. And actually, I think the truth is most people aren't willing to grant that God should have that authority in our lives. Because what do we do? We look at the world around us and we say, God must not be good. I've made up my mind. I've decided. I am all-knowing. I see what's happening in the world, and I have decided there can't be a good God at work here. And if there is a God, he's no good. On the one hand, I, I sympathize and I identify, because I'm not going to pretend I look out into everything that's happening in the world, to what's happening in Israel, to what's happening uh, in Ukraine, to what's happening in our own state and in our own capital and everywhere, and say, oh, yeah, I've got that all figured out. I'm totally cool with it, God. I'm not going to tell you that I look at these different situations and say, hey, God, what you're doing in Israel, like, great work. That is amazing. 
I've got questions. Frankly, I hope you have questions too. If you don't have questions, you're not paying attention. But here's the other thing that I know about who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who, although he doesn't deserve it, dies in my place. One old evangelistic track. I don't know if you've ever used or received a, a track, but it's, it's just a little brochure that explains something about who God is, that explains the gospel. I don't love most tracks because I'd rather, you know, make it personal and tell people about who Jesus is and who I found him to be myself. But there's one old evangelistic track that put it this way. The nations of the world got together to pass sentence on God for all of the evil that they saw, only to find with the shock that he had already served it. Jesus went to the cross, and you know what? If he would go to the cross on my behalf, if the Father would give up his Son on my behalf, I think I can trust that he's good. We just don't have the capacity as little human beings who live for 70-ish years, give or take, and then are gone. We don't have the capacity to make the judgment that we need to. And we have to be careful about our expectations. We need to let Jesus set our expectations. John sees the nations haven't been judged, and he said, Jesus must not be who I thought he was. For us, uh, we might say, I'm not happy, so Jesus isn't who I thought he was. Well, let me ask you something. Was Jesus happy in every moment in his life? No. Did he say, follow me? Yes. Jesus has a bigger plan for your life than making you happy in each and every moment. There is a bigger joy that is coming than a joy that tickles our fancy. Frankly, just sometimes tickles our here, now, and gone tomorrow desires. At Christmas, the good news about Jesus can be obscured by getting things out of order. One of the uh, the miracle of Christmas itself can almost obscure who Jesus is for us. Fleming Rutledge, an Episcopalian priest who probably understands this season of Advent better than anyone else alive, wrote this, and I've quoted it before. If we begin with the nativity, if we begin with the birth in the, in the, uh, in the guest room and Jesus lying in the manger, and then we move to the last judgment, we would be so softened up by that little baby in the manger that we wouldn't be able to take the second coming of Christ in power seriously. You're telling me that's the same guy? Because that doesn't seem possible. The solemnity and awe of Christmas do not lie in the fact that the baby becomes the eternal judge. What strikes us to the heart is this. The eternal judge, the one with eyes like flames of fire that we read about in the book of Revelation... The very God of very God, creator of the world, the Alpha and the Omega, has become that little baby. That's how deeply he has loved you. Not with a permissive love that doesn't care about the rest of our lives, but with an understanding of how lost we have become and the willingness to go to any length to retrieve us. See, if the good news of Jesus can be obscured by wrong expectations by our own desires imprinted onto what we demand, uh, onto who we demand God must be, we will find that Jesus really is the good news and we let him speak for himself. 
John is confused because the judge is busier healing diseases than judging the wicked. But in healing, Jesus has actually already begun the work of judgment. He is judging the power and the penalty of sin. It isn't the case that there's a one-to-one correspondence between our our deeds and our lot in this life. By, uh, By the first sin, the terrible power and penalty of sin were unleashed into our entire world. We all became subject in that moment to death and destruction and damnation. And you know it because we've lived it. And when Jesus begins healing diseases and disabilities and even death, Jesus is being the judge, just not the judge that John expected. Yes, the time for the nations will come, but the great enemy isn't Caesar. It's never been Caesar. The great enemy isn't any human being, though many human beings have conspired with the great enemy. No, as the Apostle Paul writes in God's word to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. No, J.K. Rowling didn't invent that phrase when she wrote Harry Potter. So Jesus tells John's disciples, hey, you're missing it. You focused on the wrong thing. You've thought the important thing is that those human powers are dealt with. But I'm telling you, the important thing is that the lame walk and the blind see and the dead are rising. And if you would just open your eyes, you'll see clearly that I am the one you've been waiting for. Because at the end of your life, you're going to spend a lot less time worrying about Herod and Caesar and Biden and Trump or whoever else you want to put into that category. You're going to spend a lot less time worrying about them than you will about, I tried to get up this morning and I couldn't. My body is breaking and falling apart and there's no Biden or Trump that can heal you any of that stuff, let me tell you. There's no healthcare reform that's going to stop that from happening to you. The judge that we need is the one that judges the brokenness and the disease and the death. And that's exactly who Jesus Christ is. So let me back this up for a moment. Take it back to that that Christmas Eve. The angel pronounces good news to the shepherds. And that good news is the heart of Christianity. And we miss this good news when we expect and desire lesser things than what God is doing. But if we'll only open our eyes, if we'll only let go of our own expectations and see what's actually happening right in front of us, what our real concerns are, not the fake ones we make up because we think we can control them, then we'll get excited about it too. Because see, that's what determines the sort of news that we share. What's most tickling my heart at the moment? Is it sharing the disaster that's befallen that guy that I didn't like? Oh, man, my neighbor drives me crazy, and finally he's gotten what's coming to him. That's not my experience. Maybe it's yours. I don't know. What's happening right in front of us? Over the last 10 years, this church has gone from 
a few faithful folks just trying to keep things going to a growing church that is actively reaching out to our community. And not just our community, but communities around the world. Can you believe that Lemon Cove has been in this last year to Honduras and to Korea? And we're hosting a bunch of Korean kids here in January. And we're talking about how do we expand that Honduras ministry? How do we invite the rest of the church to be a part of that and send them when they want to go? We're talking about what can we do next instead of how do we keep this thing from closing? We're expanding our food pantry thanks to the vision that God has given, not people who are hired in an office, but to the people who are on the ground, boots on the ground, meeting our folks there and saying, how do we do more? We can do more. Jesus wants to feed our community, and we want to be part of that and what he's doing here. We're seeing God reach into people's lives to move them closer to Jesus through baptism. I've had conversations this week. We have a couple coming up this Sunday. That doesn't happen unless God is at work, unless Jesus is being good news in our lives. I spoke to someone this week who said, God specifically called them to this place. I saw the steeple and some voice in my heart said, you gotta go. Can you believe that God is doing those things here? That he's doing them not just through us, but to us at the same time. God has brought new people here, inviting us into new Christ-like missions to places we didn't think we would go. People are loved and supported. People walk in here and they say, it was home. And folks, we can't do that on our own. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're encouraging the folks who are discouraged. We've helped people find new life and new community and new relationship and lives have been changed in this place. We're seeing people say that God is meeting them in the joy and in the suffering that they're going through in their lives. That God is sustaining them beyond anything that they could do on their own. Folks, every time you say, I don't understand how people could do this apart from Jesus, that's because God has done something in your heart. That's because Jesus is helping the blind to see and unstopping the ears of the deaf. You know, I love this. He says the lepers are cleansed. You know, leprosy, the modern Hansen's disease that we know as leprosy today, basically, if you had anything going on with your skin in the ancient world, it's like, you're a leper, unclean, right? Stay away. And the life of these, these folks, of these lepers, was to be cast out of community entirely. Right, it's like, go find a place, found a leper colony, right? You guys all go live there and don't ever come in. Actually, in the law of God, it says, if you are a leper, when you, if you come into a crowded place, you got to start shouting, unclean, unclean, so that no one will get near you and possibly catch your uncleanness. You know what Jesus liked to do with lepers? He touched them. And these are people who may not have been touched by a non-leprous person in who knows how many years. And, and the way people understood this to work is if you touched the leper, that leper's uncleanness was communicated to you. But Jesus, when he touched lepers, they got healed, which means that Jesus' cleanness was stronger than their uncleanness. He makes the leper clean. And then what happens when they're clean? Because they're not just healed of a disease, they are welcomed back into a community. Who are the untouchable people in the world that we live in? The folks that nobody wants anything to do with. Maybe because they're too big a pain in the neck. 
Maybe because no one believes they can be changed. Maybe because they're just dirty and stinky. Who are those people? Because those are the people that Jesus touches. And those are the people that God gives us good news for. You can belong here. You don't have to fix yourself first, because that's you can't do it. Let's just be honest. You need Jesus to take care of that. And you can live here while we wait and see what God will do in your life. Does that sound like good news or bad news? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? There's this great, uh, I don't know if any of you saw The Greatest Showman, uh, Hugh Jackman, Zac Efron. I know all you ladies out there love that Zac Efron, so... (laughs) Yeah, I know, Hugh Jackman, whatever. So my wife is saying Hugh Jackman over there, and thank you. But in any case, there's a song uh, that they sing. I love it. And we were in the theater watching this movie. Kayla loved this movie. She saw it several times, and she took me to see it. I probably wasn't going to go see it. And uh, there's a song, This Is Me. And it's all of the circus freaks, Right? All of the, the, you know, the bearded lady and the world's fattest man and you know, the, the uh, uh, albino person, all these people who have been rejected by everyone else. And they're saying, they sing this song about how they have found a home and community in P.T. Barnum's circus. And by the way, this is wildly historically inaccurate. <laughs> but I, as we were watching that, I leaned over to Kayla and I said, that's what the church is supposed to be. And no one else has got it. Everyone else tells you, you got to earn this one way or another, whether it's you got to agree with all of our stuff, you got to vote the way we think you should vote, or whether it's more overtly hateful, you don't look like us and we want nothing to do with you because of it. Uh, Chris Rice wrote a song a bunch of years ago now, Come to Jesus. Right? And I, we, we played it here once and just listened because he, he says, weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. You know, all you got to do is come to Jesus. There's no prerequisite. Jesus doesn't say, but first take a bath. And he doesn't say, but first make sure that you've cleaned up your life. He says, Come. And we'll take care of all the rest when you get here. Just come and belong. Jesus is the good news. What does it look like to live it? Our dear sister Debbie has spent some time turning that over in her mind and her heart and is going to share those reflections with us this morning.